The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, great to have you with us. Those of you joining online, extend a very special welcome to you as well. Uh, just uh, bear with us as we're kind of setting up ourselves here. Um, so as Tony's mentioned and a few other people have mentioned, we are kind of part three today of our series, Through the Fire. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I, I feel sorry for you, um, only because you've missed part one and part two. And uh, I encourage you to, uh, to go back and, and watch them because this will kind of feel a little bit weird, out of context, hopefully not. Um, um, so this is my last uh, one in this series. Next week we'll have Anuj engaging with the question of who. And the week after that we have Jim Elliott who'll be coming, that's, who's been here before, and he'll be looking at the question of um, when or how long, uh, which will be really good as well. Uh, and I, I, I guess I need to apologize up front today because, because it's the last one. It'll, it, this is going to feel like a little bit of a brain dump. There's got so many things I want to say. And I'm going to try real hard not to overwhelm you with just content. There's so many scriptures that are amazing that I want to say, oh, and this one, and this one, and this one. And, and you'll see in some of the points that I have up on my slides, there's like lots of scriptures. And I tried to kind of go, okay, I'm just going to give them one or two. So it's going to feel a little bit like that. I'm, I hope I can do a good job in, in really honing in and focusing on the things that really do matter. So for those of you who are visiting, we've been engaging with a series on suffering. Um, and most precisely, we've kind of broadened it to, to be pain. Uh, and we've kind of talked about things like disappointment and, and betrayal and, um, and uh, you know, heartache and broken relationships. And if you can... Uh, put the next one up, please, Doug. Oh, and this one's not working. Why is that not working? I'm going to need that. Um, yeah, just a whole bunch of things that that all of us hopefully have experienced at some point in our lives. Um, so that we, we're not thinking, when we say suffering, we're not thinking, oh, that doesn't include me because, you know, I haven't had a real major life crisis. My life's been pretty good. But when you look at that list, you kind of see that we've all experienced those things. And if you've ever felt and thought, you know, my life has not turned out the way I thought it was going to turn out, then hopefully this series is for you. Um, and so we, the way we've been approaching it is to look at uh, different questions each week. So the first week we looked at the why question. Why is there pain in our world? And we looked at the brokenness that resulted from sin in the garden. Uh, we talked about uh, there being a real and present enemy among us called Satan, whose intent is to destroy God's good creation. We talked about our sin and the sin of other people. We've talked about God's part in disciplining his people and, and even in judgment and how God causes pain in our lives in different ways. Last week we looked at the what question. What is God doing in our lives? What, what is his intention and his desire for us? Uh, we looked at a whole bunch of different things and, and we looked at you know what, what can we go to the scriptures and find in the scriptures about who God is that will help us 
endure difficult seasons and pain and suffering and hardship. And we've been approaching this series through people's stories, uh, people in our church, people we know, uh, people we have relationships with, and also through the stories of people in the Bible. Um, and so I'm hoping, I, actually I know that that's been a really helpful thing because so many people have said to me that the interviews have spoken to them just as profoundly and impacted them just as deeply as you know, all the biblical material that we're looking at. And so that's been really good and encouraging, and we're going to keep doing that as well. And so this morning, uh, I'd like you to invite Jared and Christine, who will come and share some of their story with us today. Excellent. So many of you know that, you know, um, when was it? Earlier this year. Earlier this year, Jared uh, contracted COVID and really, really badly. And uh, was in hospital uh, for quite a, a long period of time in, in intensive care. And, and Christine was left, you know, to try and make sense of all of that. And so I've asked them to share a little bit about their experience of pain in different ways. And it's interesting because Jared and Christine's journey through that time was very different. And so they'll hopefully share a little bit about what that was like for them. So Jared, do you want to kind of share first? Um. <clears throat> It all started um, two years ago when dad passed away due to COVID-19. And the worst part of it, uh, we couldn't fly home mm. because there was a lockdown and we can't uh, pay our last respect to dad. And then uh, I fell into depression for a few months and, um, and my health just started uh, going down the drain. And um, early this year, I contracted the same virus uh, same that my dad, you know, uh, one mm. that my dad took away. So um, I remember that day I was so scared. Mm. I saw the ambulance. There was, they were wearing this hazmat suit. I was so scared thinking I will uh, be having the same uh, fate like mm. what happened to my dad yeah. two years ago. And um, it was, I was in a critical condition and not knowing if I will make it out alive. Mm. Yeah. It's very full on. Christine, what was, what was your journey through that time? Tell us a bit about that. You've got tissues there. You brought your own. <laughs> She's ready. She's ready. Yeah. So like, like most of you, I've also experienced a, a fair share of um, hardships in my life. Um, pain that I have experienced myself and then pain that I, you know, seeing my, my loved one suffer. Mm. So very recently, um, as Jared has mentioned, he, we all got COVID. I was able to isolate at home and the kids, but Jared had it differently. Mm. Um, so he has been in the ICU for a couple of weeks, and um, it's just so hard to mm. take that. Like, when the hospital called me saying that my husband is in critical condition, I just, mm. like, mentally couldn't think. Yeah. Um, I just don't know what to feel, and I just, just don't know what to say. How can I tell the kids mm. that, you know, their dad's in the hospital in that condition? And all the things that had happened in the past just came back, and mm. how I treated Jared, and just everything. Yeah. And um, that time, uh, I just 
don't know um, what will be the outcome, how mm. Jared, if Jared will be able to come home mm. alive and all that. So, yeah, that, that feeling of lost and just scared and mm. just, yeah, don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about your different experiences of God during that time. I, I know for you, you were you know, kind of out of it for a, a season while you were in hospital. And Christine, really amazing things were happening for you in that time as well with God. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I remember waking up, you know, with uh, multiple chips connected to my body. Disoriented, weak, and frightened. I was a- wasn't able to speak and or even move my arms and legs. Mm. I was so frustrated and asked the Lord, that why is this happening to me? Every day I was thinking if I ever am going to see my wife and kids again. Yeah. I was questioning God if this was my punishment for my wrongdoings. Mm. The whole time I've kept my faith. However, the pain, the loneliness, and isolation made me think that if he's still with me. Mm. But, you know, I know the whole time the Lord's with me. Great, thank you, Jaron. Christine. Well, for me, um, my biggest struggle at the time was just the fear of losing Jared. Mm-hmm. Um, after what happened to his dad, I was I was also afraid that you know it might happen to him. Yeah. And I was worried of what the future will look like if he won't make it. Um, I wrestled with with worries and anxiety. Um, I guess that's just probably an initial reaction when you face similar situation. Mm. And at that time, it was so hard to believe that that suffering will, um, you know, bring something good out Mm. of it. And it's just so hard to feel hope when you're broken. And Mm. um, it just doesn't, it's so hard to trust God when it feels like life doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of struggle on that part a bit, but um, Lord also showed me something that I need to change on, and, and it just, he just revealed to, to me that um, I have something that I need to let go of, that I keep on holding on, and that, um, that moment made me realize mm. all that as well. Yeah. So it sounds like God was revealing things very separate to yeah. what was happening with Jared in that moment perhaps because you were more open to him and hear what he might be wanting to say. Yeah, that's great. Um, t- tell us a little bit about how you experienced God coming to you in, in both of your situations. In what ways did God meet you? In what ways did God reveal himself in his love, his, his power? His, in, in what ways did God come to you guys? Um, I remember lying in bed for weeks. Um, decreased my muscle strength, um, which affected my coordination, balance, and ability to walk. After numerous attempts, I have failed, lost hope, and almost gave up. Mm. But after leaving ICU, I will never forget that day, the 13th of February of this year, how I experienced his miracle. Mm. When I was asked to walk without any help or assistance by the doctor, I felt God's presence in that moment. I stood up, found my balance, and I started walking while praying at the same time, of course. (laughs) I made it through the corridor, couldn't believe it, Mm. and back to my bed. I have Christine, I have my mom, I have Atelisa and Tito Cesar Mm. witnessed that miracle. Mm. Up to now, I still couldn't believe. 
I made it through the corridor and back to my bed, and I fell into tears. I remember that day. I just called out his name. That situation reminded me of Jesus when he healed the paralyzed man in the book of Luke. God has shown me his goodness, grace, and mercy by giving me a second chance in life. Mm, That's great. Wonderful. Christine, how did God meet you in your place of pain? Um, Actually, God had a fresh revelation of who God is in my life. Mm. Um, It brought into the surface the things that I've been wrestling with, Mm. that I've been wanting to let go, but pride and bitterness and Mm. unforgiveness just, you know, Mm. so strong at that time. But when what happened to Jared um, opened up my eyes and my heart that I need to let go of those things Mm. that... It 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 stops it stopped me from you know um, growing and it's just holding me back to what God has already won. Mm. It felt like um, that moment just really took me out of my comfort zone mm. and just um, even though that situation was actually not not good, I can I I found that peace that mm. only God. Can yeah. give, yeah. and for some reason, I never worried. To be honest, I never really <laughs> worried about Jared because I know God that He is working on His own. Like mm. He's working on Jared's life, and I know that, and I trust God that um, Jared will be healed. and And His promises to me was so true that yeah. Jared will come back, mm. and you don't need to worry about that. I'm mm. working on that. Let 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 me work on yours. Yeah, wow. Like he, he told me to let go of that bitterness and unforgiveness. And for, for years, I've wrestled with that, mm. holding on to that, thinking that why would I, why would I forgive them or why would I, um, how do you say it? How, um, why would I, um, I'm lost now. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Um, yeah, I just, I just felt like God, also work in my heart in that in that season and he just softened it mm. um that time when i i was so full of my pride and mm. unforgiveness and unrighteous uh, unrighteousness thinking that i i am better than them right um but god humbled me and he showed me that christine you don't need to carry all of that because i have already carried wow. that for you and just let go. Mm. And for the first time, I let it go. And I let God just take over and let him do what he wants to, me to do that I just couldn't do before. Um, you know, that your pride and, and that um, self-righteousness mm. is just... Um, yeah, he, he humbled me and yeah. he just like, Christine, let me do it. Mm. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really glad I did because I was set free. Mm. I was set free of that, um, yeah, bondage mm. that I have been um, carrying mm. all this time. Okay, last <laughs> question. We'll start with you uh, since you're on a roll. Um, how, looking back now, how have you grown and how have you changed as a result of God's work in your heart? Um, I've, I think I have been closer to him more than ever. Like, 
I felt he's he's just um, changing my heart, um, and I just. Um, <laughs> I need to go back to my. That's <laughs> okay. So he showed me that you know even the situation is not good. He's still good. Yeah. And he can work it and change it and turn it around mm. for my good and for his glory. And just looking back in that season, I cannot help but praise him for his faithfulness. Mm. And um, just looking back of, on my life, I've seen how he has been faithful to me. How seen, how I've seen him, how he has blessed me. And just these trials is nothing compared to what, you know, the joy that awaits. Mm. And in looking back at that hardship from the past, I know that whatever struggle I have in the future, he will never leave me or mm. he will not forsake me. Amen. Jared? Um, just want to mention this verse. Uh, I remember it's Romans 8.28. Mm. And we know that in all things God works for those, for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Mm. Um, God showed me how much he loves me. Even I fail him daily. Mm. He let me witness his miracle to prove him that he is the Messiah. Mm. But lastly, God taught me that we are nothing without him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Why don't you thank them? So this morning, we're engaging with the how question. Um, and there's a lot of things I want to share with you. And a, a lot of today's, uh, I guess, what I'm sharing are reflections of my own experience and the experiences uh, of many others as I've sat with them, as they've gone through their deep valleys as a pastor. Um, and so just reflections on that. Um, I hope they'll be helpful for you. Um, and like we've been doing, I want to start with a quote, uh, and John Piper said this, and I hope you can relate to this. Oh, I've got to turn around this way. Yes, since knowing Jesus, joy has rolled over me like the waves of the sea, but not always. There are times when the tide goes out. God is still God, joy is still joy, but I am baking in the seaweed on the beach, waiting for the tide to come in. I love that. Can you relate to that? Yeah, I can relate to that. Baking on the beach, waiting for the tide to come in. It's beautiful. And so the first question we're considering today is, how does God come to us in our pain and suffering? Now, this is a really difficult question because when we're in pain, we want God to come to us in the way we want Him to come to us. And when, when we're in pain... Everything gets so blurry, and when God doesn't turn up the way we want or expect, we can miss what God is actually doing in our lives. You know, if you think about it, you know, it's like when, you're, when your eyes are t filled with tears, the whole world seems blurry. That's a little bit like how, how it is with God. When, when we're in pain, we just can't see clearly what God is saying and what God is wanting to do in that moment. And one of the hardest things to do in, in pain is to allow God to come to us on his terms, the way he wants to. I think of Elijah um, in the Old Testament, and when you read his story, 
He's had this great triumphal moment in 1 Kings chapter 18. And then in 19, he's fleeing for his life. He's, in, in, he's terrified of Jezebel and King Ahab. And he's, he's running. And, and the way God meets him is beautiful. God meets him with food and with water and with rest. Not really how you'd expect God to meet him. And then... You know, as Elijah is seeking God, you know, there's the thunder and the earthquake and the fire and all the dramatic things that we expect God to do in our pain. And it says over and over again, but God wasn't in those things. He was in the whisper. Sometimes we're so preoccupied looking for the earthquake and the fire and, and, and you know, the loud and the big and the dramatic that we miss God's whisper. So how does God come to us in our pain and suffering? For sure, God comes to us as the Almighty God. And that is our great hope as Christians that we have a God who is sovereign Lord, who is the King of Kings, who is the Lord of Lords. And Psalm 29 and, and Psalm 145, 1-7 and so many others, and I had to cut back here, talk about the greatness of God. Talk about God as the warrior king, as the God who marches through the, the Red Sea and parts the waves, as the God who rains down manna and leads his people with the pillar of fire and cloud, and the God who raises the dead and heals the sick and does all those dramatic things. In Luke 8, in this incredible chapter, Jesus is... is the storm calmer. He, he's the bondage breaker. He delivers this man who's bound by demon, demon forces. He's the healer and he heals this woman who for 12 years had, a, had an issue of blood from her body. And he's also the resurrector. He goes and raises Jairus' daughter all in the one chapter. That's the God we want to turn up when we're in pain and suffering. The God of rescue, the God who's the deliverer, the God who frees us from bondage, who heals and raises the dead. That's the God we want. Praise God that he is still that God. And he still does miracles. And he still does release people from captivity and sets the prisoner free and restores the blind and, and, and heals the sick and raises the dead. Absolutely. But more often in my experience, God comes in the whisper. So he comes as our compassionate father. In Psalm 103, 13 to 18, the psalmist says that God has compassion on us like a father has compassion on his children. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, your heavenly father knows your need. He knows what you wrestle with and what you struggle with. He knows before you even express it. He knows because he's your heavenly father. He comes as our merciful high priest who empathizes with our weakness. Psalm 145 tells us that. Hebrews 4 speaks of Jesus that way. As the high priest who knows, who understands, who empathizes with our pain and suffering. He comes to us as a faithful shepherd who goes before us and cares for us. Who walks with us in the valleys and lays down his life for us. Psalm 23 and John 10 are two passages that, that talk about that. You know, and from talking to people who've been through deep valleys, you know what they'll often say, and this has been my experience too, and you heard Jared and Christine allude to that, that you can experience God in a way in the valley that you will never experience Him any other time. Any other time. Something profound happens in the dark valleys. And He comes to us as the shepherd who leads us beside still waters who restores our soul, 
who lays us down in green pastures. But that only happens when you're walking through valleys sometimes. God comes to us as the Prince of Peace of Isaiah 9, 6. And John 14, 27, 16, 23, uh, 16, 33, Jesus talks about him being the one who gives us peace. Not like the world gives, a peace that passes understanding. And Christine alluded to that. That's the whisper of God in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the storms that are raging. He's the one that he may not still the storms with the command of his word like Jesus can do and does do. But he might be the one that whispers into the storm raging in our heart and says, be still. And we experience the Prince of Peace. Philippians 4, Paul talks about that. The peace of God and the God of peace who comes to us in those moments. He comes to us as the God of all comfort and hope, as it says in Romans 15, 13 and 2 Corinthians 1. As the God who lifts us up, as the God who identifies with our pain and grieves with us and comes along and embraces us and holds us like a father who comforts a child that's been traumatized by a scary dream and wraps his arms around us and holds us close and safe. As the God who lifts up our head in hope when our lives are filled with despair and pain and darkness, who shows us glimmers of light beyond the present darkness that we're in. And more often than not, I'm thankful that God comes to us as the empowering spirit of God. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says that when we suffer, the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests on us. What a profound experience. And this is the one I had so many references here for you. In Jeremiah 1, 18 to 9, God promises Jeremiah that he's going to cop it from his people because God was asking him to do something really hard, to speak out God's word to a bunch of people who didn't want to hear it and that they were going to really treat him roughly. And God says, but that's okay. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to make you like steel on the inside. I'm going to make you resilient. I'm going to make you like a walled city. I'm going to make you strong. Not the things we want to hear God say to us. You're going to go through the fire, but I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to strengthen you. But that's one way that God does come to us as the empowerer who strengthens us to stand firm as we've been talking about this whole year. And we see that in the book of Acts. We saw that time and time again in the first eight chapters when the disciples were beaten and they, they rallied together and the Bible says that the Spirit of God came and filled them with boldness to continue to be on mission for Jesus in spite of persecution. And in 2 Corinthians 12, which is a passage we've come back to time and time again in this series, it's the passage where God says, My grace is sufficient. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And he may never take away the thorn, but he might come to you as the one who strengthens you to endure the pain of the thorn. So I want to encourage you, be open to how God might come to you. He may not come as almighty God. He may. He may not come as the storm comer. He may. But this is the God of the Bible who comes to his people in all different ways. And I encourage you to be open to how God might be wanting to come to you in your pain, in your struggle, in your challenge. And be open to the richness and the beauty and the wonder of God's presence in that moment so you don't miss it. 
Will you trust God to come to you on his terms and not the way you insist that he does? The second question we will engage with this morning is how can we come to God in our pain? Not just how God comes to us, but how do we come to God in our pain? And again, this is a really, really tricky and a difficult question because when we're in pain and we feel like God is responsible, honestly, we don't really want to be with him. I remember the reality of this as a parent when my kids were little. You know, um, the parenting books tell you that when you discipline your children and when you spank them to make sure you tell them immediately after that you love them and kind of give them a hug and hold them, that never worked. You know, my kids were like, come on, you just, you just smacked me. You just took away a privilege or you gave me a consequence and now you're telling me you love me and you want me to hug you? Are you for real? Maybe you felt that with your heavenly father. I know I have. So it's really hard to think about us coming to God when it feels like somehow he could change our situation. He could make the pain go away and, and he doesn't. You know, I remember someone saying once that it's like when you go to the doctor and you have to have surgery. Maybe that's a, a little bit like how we need to think about God. Yes, there's a scalpel, and it's a pretty scary thing when that's coming at you. But it's held in a hand that is scarred by nails. It's held in a hand of love. And unless we push through the fear and the reluctance to come to God, we will miss His loving hand. So how do we come to God in our pain? Well, the familiar spiritual disciplines. There's no magic bullets, no amazing truths here other than the truths that the scriptures tell us over again. We come to him through prayer. You see the Psalms of men and women, godly women, crying out in their brokenness, their pain and their severe suffering, but they're crying out in prayer to God to try and make sense of what they're going through. There's no shortcut. It is pouring out your heart to God, even in grief and pain and betrayal and loss. And realizing that there is an enemy, you know, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to not just pray prayers of petition but, and intercession, but to pray prayers of warfare, where we stand our ground against the enemy, where we come against him with faith in a, in a sovereign God. And prayer is, is a powerful means of coming to God in our pain. Reading, meditating, and obeying God's word. Psalm 119 talks about how God's word is a light in the darkness, a lamp to our feet. Matthew 7, one of Jesus' most amazing teachings, he said, Storms will come, but it's the person that has built their life in obedience to my word, who 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 listens to my word and does my word, it's they that will persevere, that will come through the storm. And so many times I've, I've sat with Christians who are going through pain, and the, you know the first things that go? Prayer and Bible. And I think, again, that is part of the enemy's strategy in isolating us and cutting off our supply chain from the heavenly power of God. Prayer. It's, I'm not saying this is easy. 
going to God in prayer, coming to God in, in his word when you're in pain, when you're grieving. It's not easy. But it is the way that God meets us. Another way we can come to God is in praise and worship. You know, I've, I've found this. There are days when I'll get up and I'm in pain and I just, I can't bring myself to pray or to read. But, you know, listening to praise and worship music does something to your soul. It does something to your spirit. And I see this in the Bible. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, it's the passage when Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. And it says that David would come and minister to him and play his harp and and, and, and soothe Saul's troubled soul in the midst of his torment. Music and, and, and praise and worship had a profound effect. I see it in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and, Paul and Silas are in prison. And they're worshipping and they're praising God. They probably didn't have copies of the scrolls of the scripture to meditate and read on. But they had song in the night. And they sang. And the profound impact that that had in that moment. You know, I was listening to uh, Bill Johnson do a talk recently when his wife just passed away from cancer. And he made this profound observation that I'd never thought of. And I thought, how cool is that? He said, Praying and, uh, praising and worshipping God in the midst of darkness and pain and suffering is the one thing we will get to do here on earth that we will never get to do in heaven. Because when we're in glory, there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no death. And we will be praising God all the time, but never in the dark. That we can only do now. And I thought, that is so true. How profound that we can lift up worship to our God in the midst of pain and suffering and darkness. Community, church, this is how we can come to God and you know, many people in their stories have shared the profound impact that has blessed them through an individual, through their small group, through the church community, rallying around them in their time of pain and suffering. And again, there were so many scriptures for this, but I just put down a few. And maybe those are the familiar ones for you. And here are some maybe ones that might be less familiar to you, but I found really helpful. Solitude. Being alone with Jesus and I see that in Genesis 3 where God takes Moses into the wilderness and meets him when he's alone. Nobody else around. So yes, community is important. But sometimes when we're always surrounded by people and the crowd, we might miss how God wants us to come to him alone. And I notice even in Jesus' life, in the Gospels, when he hears about John the Baptist being beheaded, his cousin, and the grief of that, it says that he withdrew to a lonely place and he prayed. Being alone with Jesus has a profound impact. And I love John 20 and 21 at the end of John's gospel when the, the disciples have, are just reeling with the death of Jesus and trying to make sense of the resurrection. They don't really know what's going on. Jesus meets them alone. Just the disciples. No crowd, no spectators, no massive groups of people. And time and time again, Jesus meets them alone in the privacy of a locked room on the beachside cooking breakfast for them. Alone in solitude. And here's another amazing biblical way that we can come to God, which we don't do so well maybe in the West, and it's lament. Lament. And the, the, the definition of that is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament. 
and groaning. And then the Bible talks about that in Psalm 102. There's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations, which is about people pouring out their heart in, in grief and groaning and sorrow because they don't make sense of their world. Lament. And the last two are really interesting too. Friends. You know, in Mark 2, 1 to 5, is the story of the crippled man. And his friends bring him to Jesus. See, sometimes when we're in pain, we can't come to Jesus in our own strength. We just don't have it. But what a profound gift it is to have friends who will help carry us to Jesus. Whether that's through prayer and intercession. Whether that's through a word of encouragement. Whether that's just walking with us through the pain. And I love the story of the two friends on the road to Emmaus. You know, they're just, again, trying to make sense of Jesus having died. They're they're a good friend, and they don't make sense. And they're not walking alone. They're walking as a buddy, having someone to walk alongside them. And Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Barnabas, Paul had traveling buddies everywhere he went. And so when he was beaten, when he was thrown in jail, he had a friend there with him. Such a powerful thing to have companions who will pray with you and help bring you to Jesus when... You don't have the strength to do that for yourself. And lastly, testimonies and stories are a great encouragement. That's why we've asked people to share their story. And I know you've been encouraged when you hear how God has been at work in somebody else's life. And you, you find yourself, your faith being encouraged and strengthened. And you can come to God because of somebody else's story. Somebody else's testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. How God met them in their pain and their suffering and their hardship. I know some of you are daily bread readers. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the, since we began this series in August, there have been so many articles about pain, about suffering, about meeting Jesus, needing Jesus' help, standing firm. It's been amazing. And I've found that in my struggles and pain, God has met me through the daily bread more times than I can care to remember. With just a short article, with a testimony, with a a little thing to read on. And it's like God just shines his light into my darkness through that little devotional. And I've been able to come to God through that gift. The third question... I hope this is not too much. But we've got another question. How can we stand firm in a broken world? And this, this, this one is more like a summary uh, that I want to try and pull together the, the last three weeks of the things that I've shared, pull together some of the things from different people's stories, and hopefully share some things with you as a, a summary of some of the things that we've discovered along the way. The first thing I want to tell you that might help you stand firm in a broken world is expect suffering. I know that seems pretty silly to say, but I think for, for me, that's been one of the biggest things. I, I've fooled and, and told myself more times than I care to admit that maybe my life is meant to be happy and healthy and prosperous. But that is not what the Bible promises us. Even Jesus said, in this life you will have many troubles, but somehow we gloss over that. Expect suffering. Luke 9, Jesus said, integral to following him is taking up a cross. That is not a couch. Make sure you understand. It's spelled differently. It's a cross, not a couch. 1 Peter 4, Philippians 1 
Acts 5 all remind us that suffering is part of a broken world, part of the Christian experience. Persecution is to be expected. Expect suffering. Our world is broken. Pain is a part of the human experience. And Jesus reminded us that following him involves carrying our own cross and suffering because he suffered. And we are following in his footsteps. Second one that will help you stand firm in a broken world is deal with sin. Deal with sin. Confess and repent of it when it's your own. And, you know, Jared and Christine alluded to that. When you've wronged and when you've caused pain, deal with it. Because unforgiveness brings you into greater pain. As you heard, brings you into greater bondage. Deal with your sin and deal with other people's sin. Forgive them. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that if you don't forgive, you will not receive the grace and the forgiveness that comes through God's love because you're withholding forgiveness from somebody else. Deal with sin. A lot of the pain that we experience is as a result of our sinfulness or the sinfulness of others. And if we don't deal well with sin, we continue to live in pain. Deal with sin. Thirdly, identify with Jesus. We've talked about this. Our Lord and our Savior suffered. And you know, so much of the New Testament teaching on suffering is about this. It's about identifying ourselves with Jesus, our Savior. It's about seeing our suffering as somehow a continuation of His suffering. It's being able to enter into Jesus' suffering as we suffer. All of these ideas are in the New Testament. That it's identifying with our Lord and Savior. And you know, that's been so helpful to me in the last little while. As I reflected, not just on the cross, but everything leading up to the cross. Jesus was abandoned by his family. Jesus was rejected by his mother and his brothers. Jesus had to, even as a baby, flee as a refugee, taken out of his homeland for fear of being killed. Jesus was spat on. Jesus was Betrayed by a closest friend. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friend. Is this relevant to any of us? Yes. And when you suffer, when you go through pain, seeing your journey in continuity with Jesus' journey is such a wonderful, wonderful gift. Remember God's past faithfulness. Psalm 103, 1-5 talks about that. And Philippians 4 talks about that we are to bring our prayers to God in the context of thanksgiving and appreciation for His good gifts. Developing a heart of gratitude is so important because when we're in pain, our, our vision gets narrowed. It gets tunneled and we only see the pain. But the moment we step back and increase our perspective, we can see the goodness of God in so many different ways, sometimes even in the midst of our pain. We have so much to thank God for even on our worst day. Remembering God's past faithfulness. Focus on the unseen and the eternal. I couldn't go through this series without reading 2 Corinthians 4, 6-18. It's such a profound passage. And you, I'm sure, are very, very familiar with these verses. Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen to these words. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, 
Not what's hurting right now, not what's grieving us right now, but on what is unseen, the spiritual, eternal realities of what God is doing in our heart in those moments. Since what is seen is temporary, even though the pain might last a long time, as Philip Yancey reminded us last week, it's still only temporary in light of eternity. But what is unseen is eternal. Focus on that. Change your perspective. Trust in the Lord, that goes without saying. Psalm 27 talks a lot about putting our hope in God, on on waiting on God. Isaiah 40 talks about waiting on the Lord and being renewed in our strength as we wait on God and wait for God as we're putting our hope and in our refuge and shelter, strength will arise as we wait on the Lord. Romans 8, 28 to 39 talks about the promises of God holding on to them in trust and in faith and in confidence remembering that God works for our good that he is for us that he will graciously give us all things because he's given us Jesus Romans 8 reminds us that Jesus is praying for us he's our intercessor and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus holding on to those promises when there's nothing else to hold on to Jeff Bridges said this about trust. Yes, since, uh, sorry, for many years in my own pilgrimage of seeking to come to a place of trusting God at all times, I was a prisoner to my feelings. I mistakenly thought I could not trust God unless I felt like trusting Him, which I almost never did in the time of adversity. Now I am learning that trusting God is first of all a matter of the will and is not dependent on my feelings. He goes on to say, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite that at times seeks to, sorry, despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. So that's kind of the spiritual things that might help us stand firm in a broken world. I want to give you some practical things and I'll kind of go through these quite quickly because they're self-explanatory. One is be real with God. We've talked about that over and over again in this series. Acknowledge your feelings but don't rely on them to tell you what's really going on. Don't trust your feelings. Acknowledge them, absolutely. But don't put your faith in your feelings. Put your faith in the promises of God's word, of what he says about himself, not what your feelings are telling you about him. Ask different questions. That would be really helpful for you to do. The one we go to is why. Why me, Lord? But maybe try some of the questions we've been engaging with in this series. Questions like, what do you want to do in me and through me through this pain? What do you want to teach me about yourself, myself, through this journey? What idols are you exposing in my heart? What wrong beliefs and concepts are you dismantling? How do you want me to meet you in my pain? Different questions. And the moment you ask different questions, you'll often find different answers. Thirdly, reach out for help. Reach out for help. Talk about your pain with people you trust. Seek professional help when that's needed. Pain shared is pain halved, they say. You are not alone. And I hope hearing other people's stories has shown you that, that you are not alone. Others have walked similar paths to you. Talk about your pain. Reach out for help. 
Lastly, be kind to yourself. It's okay to take time to heal. It's okay not to be okay. And in church, we do this very, very poorly because we expect people to get over stuff real quick. And if they don't, we don't think they have enough faith. You know, a great illustration that might help you was a story about this guy who nailed a piece of timber. He put a nail in a piece of timber. And he, uh, to illustrate this to his son about, you know, he kept doing the wrong thing and kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the father kind of went, you don't understand this process. And so he took him out, put this nail in the piece of timber, and he said to his son, take the nail out. And the son took the, took the nail out. And he said, that's like forgiveness. But he said, look at the timber. The hole's still there and will be there for a long time. Friends, I want to tell you some things you'll never get over. They'll mark you for life. Losing your spouse, losing a child, you don't get over that real quick. The hole might be there for a long time, and that's okay. Get the nail out. Get the nail out. Be kind to yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. In spite of doing all this, wow, we're already out of time. I want to be real. God sometimes seems the most distant and silent when we need him the most. We long for his presence and we don't feel like he has, he's there. It feels like he's left us alone in the dark. And there's another story that I hope will help you and encourage you. There's a story told, uh, I think it was set in a tribe in, in South America, in the Amazon. And part of their initiation rituals was for sons to be taken out when they were about 12 and left alone in the woods, away from their village, to endure the night alone. And so what they would do, the father would, would prepare the son and help him pack all the supplies that he needed for the night, his weapon, get all of that ready. And the two of them would walk out of the village alone into the night. And the father would set the son up and, and help him and kind of make sure he was all okay. And then at some point as twilight was setting in, he would say goodbye to his son and he would walk away. And as the night set in and the animals started coming, the son was there all alone. But the truth was that the father never actually leaves. The father stays hidden, close by, ready with his weapons to protect and defend the son. But all through the night, the son thinks that he's completely and totally and utterly alone. Sometimes God does that. It is scary. It is terrifying. It is unsettling. It is troubling. It might make you really angry. But Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's there. And sometimes you've experienced this. It's not till the dark is the nightest or the night is the darkest that you actually see the most number of stars. That's just the way God's created his world to be. So when I rush through this last bit, as we've done every week, looking at a Bible story, turn with me to um, John 11, and we're going to look at Mary, uh, Martha, Mary and Martha's story in the midst of their grief when Lazarus dies. And 
again, I'll try and move through these quite quickly because we've already touched on many of these, but I want you to see this in the Bible. John 11. The first thing I learned from Martha's story is in, in verses 1 to 3. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother uh, Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So really good people. That's what John's trying to say here. They were good, godly, wonderful people. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. There's so much in there alone. That just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you won't get sick. But I love that. that The first thing Mary and Martha do is they reach out to Jesus in their pain. Do that. Reach out to Jesus. The second thing I see in this story, which is profound, is in in verse 4. When when Jesus gets the news, it says, verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, interestingly, Jesus does not send a memo to Martha to tell her that. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. The second principle I learned is that I recognize that sometimes God is doing things that you just don't get. Something bigger than you'll ever understand. And we see that again in, in verses 40 to 45 when Jesus is there and he says, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? See, Jesus is at work in the midst of their pain to, to do something that will glorify God. Martha would not have understood that. Realize that that might be the case in your story. The next principle, and this is an amazing one. Jesus is not coming to you when you want him to doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Notice what it says in verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Uh, Have you experienced that? Come on, Jesus, you love me and you're staying longer? And and, and Martha wrestled with that. Because when Jesus comes, she says, Jesus, if you just come when I sent you the message, he wouldn't have died. How many of you have experienced that? Jesus, if you'd just done it the way I said, this wouldn't have been so painful. But I love Martha. Verses 20 and 21 tell us that she goes to Jesus in the midst of her pain and disappointment. Realize that she sent a message to Jesus. Hey, Lazarus is sick. Jesus stays long and then Lazarus dies. How would you have felt? Would you have wanted anything to do with Jesus? Being honest, I would have probably gone, yeah, Jesus, whatever. Let him, let him come, you know, whatever. You know, I'm just, I don't know if I'm ready to talk to him right now. But Martha runs to him. She meets him outside the village. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She goes to Jesus in the midst of her pain and disappointment. The next principle That is so helpful in verses 22 and 27. Notice that Martha is putting her faith in Jesus, not in an outcome. Notice the conversation. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus is promising her something. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She doesn't really understand what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus drills down deeper and says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? This is an opportunity for Martha to go, yes, I believe that Lazarus is going to live again. But she doesn't. Notice what she says. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. There's nothing about Lazarus. She believed in Jesus, not in an outcome. And lastly, John 11, 38 to 41, Jesus sometimes in the midst of your pain will ask you to do crazy things. And Jesus asked them to move the stone in front of the tomb. And Martha's like, what? Are you serious? He's been dead for four days. It's really stinky. Just let Jesus do whatever he wants to do. Trust him. It might seem crazy, ridiculous, unorthodox, bizarre, weird. Let him do whatever he wants to do. So we see that Jesus didn't come when and how Martha expected. Martha expected the healer. But Jesus came to her as the resurrector. But he also came to Martha in more profound ways that sound like the whisper of Elijah. And these are beautiful and so easily missed in this passage. Jesus came to her with the hope of resurrection. Sometimes your dreams will die. Your spouse will die. Your child will die. Death is a part of our world. But Jesus in in that moment will come to you as the hope of resurrection. Jesus came with empathy and compassion. In this passage, we're told that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled, seeing his friends in grief and pain. He came with love and he came with compassion. He wasn't the distant, far-removed God that didn't feel. He comes with deep feeling. And lastly, he came with tears. He came with tears. Jesus weeps over your brokenness and your pain and your suffering. And the cross is the ultimate reminder of this. And we've already talked about it. Tony did such a beautiful job. Hebrews 2, uh, 12, 2 and 3 reminds us to, to remind us of the cross all the time. So that in our suffering, we don't grow weary and get discouraged when we remember that Jesus suffered for us. Ferguson, uh, Sinclair Ferguson said this. I already did from my notes. Yes, my, des- my deepest fears may become realities. I may not be able to understand what God is doing in or to my life. He may seem to be hiding his face from me. My heart may be broken. But can I not trust the one who demonstrated his love for me? When I was helpless in my sin, he sent Christ to die for me. If he has done that, will he not work all things together for my good? The cross. So as I conclude, I'm sorry, it has taken a long time. I want to do something a little bit weird, and I hope this doesn't... Anyway. (laughs) Psalms 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 51 says that a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. And I want to leave you with an image, and I want to get you to do an exercise. That really helped me. And maybe for some of you, like, ah, whatever. But for others of you, this could be a really profound moment.
And it's based on kintsugi, which some of you may be familiar with. It is a Japanese art form that takes broken pottery and restores them. And there's a picture of one of them. And it is restored with gold. Molten gold is used to make the pieces whole again. And one of the profound things that these artists do before they restore is they sit and they hold these broken pieces and they weep over them because of their brokenness. And so what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And we're going to have just some background music. And I want you to do this. I want you to recount over your life all of the broken pieces. All the times when you were broken. And I want you to name those pieces before Jesus. Bring them before him. One by one. Whether that was from your childhood, your adolescence, your adulthood, whether that's a mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational brokenness, a betrayal, a disappointment, whatever it is. Hold out your palms. And you can do this physically. I did. If you feel comfortable to do that, hold out your palms and imagine those broken pieces there that you're holding them. As you name them and as you put them in your hands, hold them out before Jesus. And now, as you do that, I want you to imagine Jesus coming to you and taking them out of your hands and weeping over them. Imagine Him coming to you with tears. Imagine him grieving over your pain, over your brokenness. Jesus. And now imagine him assembling them with great love and care putting in the gold of his glory the gold of his love of his presence reassembling that broken vase that broken pot and making remaking you into a vessel of glory more beautiful than it ever was 
more precious than it ever was, more valuable than it ever was. This is how Jesus wants to meet you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you'll just indulge me five more minutes, I want to finish with a song that's called Lazarus. And as you continue to meditate and reflect on this exercise, I want these words to just soak into your soul this morning. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
thank you that you ultimately came to us in the person of your son, Jesus. You didn't stay in glory, in heaven, distant and removed from our pain. You stepped into it. You embraced humanity. And you became the high priest that not only empathizes, sympathizes, understands our weakness, but the high priest that laid down his life, the Passover lamb, the shepherd who gave his life for us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go, we would carry that truth that you are the miracle-working God, that you are the one who can deliver and rescue and heal and raise the dead. And you are also the God who meets us in tears and restores and renews and redeems and transforms our brokenness into something far, far more beautiful. So, Lord, I pray for your peace to abound to us, for your grace to carry us, for your spirit to rest on us and empower us as we walk into this week, as we face uncertainty, as we face difficulty, that we would know that your grace will always be sufficient and your presence will always be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray with you today. God bless you. Have a great week. And if you can stick around for morning tea, we'd love for you to do that. See you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.